Boo freaking who. Grow up. There's a reason that I'm on Raw and SmackDown and you're not. You want to know the biggest difference between Sasha Banks and Bailey? What I've been fighting for for the past two years, I have to sit back and just watch people kind of take my spot, and it's really, really tough to do. But I've been able to kind of gather my thoughts on what I'm really here to do. My number one goal is to become the NXT Women's Champion. Well, Bailey is back. It appears to be healed up. Oh, wait a minute. with Charlotte. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Ron Pashery Jr., and with me this week, as always, the gentleman holding down the fort uh, for much of the last few months, uh, Mr. Wednesday Night Live. We call him Alo. The ladies call him Balo. Aaron Lloyd. Uh, this week, we are going to be reviewing uh, NXT Takeover Brooklyn One. Um, Pretty, uh, I guess we'd probably call it like an instant classic uh, pay-per-view. Pretty legendary show. Uh, before we get into it, though, uh, first, uh, RIP to Kamala, uh, one of the first uh, monsters of my childhood watching <laughs> wrestling. Um, a guy that I know has suffered like a lot of health issues over like the last decade, probably even more than that. Um, you know, all of our best goes out to... To his his family and his loved ones, uh, do you have any like real memories of Kamala, or was he kind of gone by the time you were watching? Uh, he was gone by the time I was watching, but I do remember like seeing him on TV. Like I, I'm I'm sure he crossed over to a few other things on TV. But I do remember actually. Oh no, you know what it is? Uh, it's not Kamala. The old school little rascal black and white tapes. There's mm-hmm. somebody that favors him in those tapes. <laughs> so so that, that's why I kind of like. I kind of equal as Kamala, but no, mm-hmm. not really for Kamala. <laughs> yeah, time. that's what I kind of figured. He was like a little bit uh, before you started watching, but I, I definitely have like vivid memories of of Kamala. And what's the line that they say? Uh, it's from I believe it's from The Dark Knight. I don't remember who says it first. Might be Harvey Dent. Uh, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see your, you, lo, you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And unfortunately, we have another real life case of 
someone who did not die a hero and has lived long enough to see himself become the villain. I actually was originally planning to come on here and defend this person from some social media stupidity uh, earlier this week until I saw something else. And unfortunately, I'm talking about Chris Jericho. Uh, (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I was going to defend him because he, uh, he clearly jokingly banned someone. I don't even remember who it was. From watching AEW, was it Jim Cornette or something? I can't remember. Oh, uh, uh, I don't remember, but I, I do remember seeing something like this. Whoever it was, there were people like criticizing him for that, and it's like clearly it's a fucking bit. Like he does not have the ability to ban someone from watching a TV show. Like he can't block AEW from being streamed into through somebody's cable provider or whatever. So it was clearly a joke he was doing a bit, and I thought this is stupid that anybody's actually mad about it. But then I saw that he's he did a fucking Fozzie concert. Like what are you thinking, yes. dude? Like come on, at Sturg- at Sturgis. Yeah. So between look. I truly believe, and I think you would back me up on this, I was the first person to come out and say Chris Jericho is the greatest of all time. I don't think anyone said that before me. And when I said it, I meant it. And uh, Chris, unfortunately, you can no longer be my goat. Uh, Between the All Lives Matter stuff and the putting on a public event during COVID-19, Like, I'm sorry. Like, the fact that I have more respect as a person for Randy Orton than you now, you can't be my GOAT. You you know, you've had a great career. You've done things that are unparalleled. But you're no longer number one of all time in my book. Um, I I just can't do it. Uh, And I don't know how he could even redeem himself at this point. I I, I just don't know. The thing is, he's he's wrestling tonight in a match with Orange Cassidy. But... I found it strange because I was listening to Eric Bischoff's show and he was talking about how Sturgis was still going on and uh, it was still a huge turnout. And then I heard that Jericho was performing performing at Sturgis. I was like, really? Because uh, because he made a whole post about it too. Like he posted himself on the on the airplane saying first performance in X amount of months. And I was like, okay, I, I guess you know. Um, the whole COVID thing, that's a whole nother argument. You know, people are going to get to debate that back and forth. But, like, that's a smart idea by Jericho, I don't think, personally. Yeah, and to me, I don't even know if you can really debate it. Uh, like, because it seems to me that the, the debate is either whether it's it's real or not. Which, like, it's clearly real. A lot of people have died from it. A lot of people are suffering, like, long-term health effects from it. And... The more people are congregating and gathering in public places, the longer it is going to take for us to get rid of it. And the more people are going to get sick and the more people are going to die. Um, And Chris Jericho is just like a long line of him being tone deaf now. Like, like I said, the All Lives Matter stuff. We had the stuff with him having uh, our shitty president's shitty kid on his podcast. Like, like, did he really? Yeah. Oh man, I'm over you. Yeah, that well, that was a few months ago. Really? Uh, yeah, and and people got mad about it, and he was, you know, he made he made like, and this is probably like the least of the concerns of of some of these things, but this still was a thing. Like the, a lot of people said he made like sexist comments about women coming on the cruise, which, like, I get it. You know, some people are too sensitive about stuff, but it just is like too many things have happened where I'm like, come on, man. Like, you got to know better. So, 
Yeah, unfortunately, he's he's removed himself from from my top spot, and HBK is back firmly at number one. <laughs> as I know that that HBK was was backstage at NXT tapings, uh, fighting for for Black Lives Matter. So <laughs> HBK was more than ready to to reclaim the the top spot. Um, and you mentioned Eric Bischoff a minute ago, and I just have to say. This is about AEW. Um, sometimes I like... Now, you know, and anyone who has listened to this in the past year know, like, I just... I can't find the time or energy or interest to watch wrestling anymore. But there is part of me that sometimes wavers, like, maybe I should be watching AEW just to support this different thing. But the fact that they bring out Eric Bischoff and they have, like, Arn Anderson and all these people... It, it's not for me, is all I can say. Uh, I have no interest in shit from WCW from 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I don't even have really all that much interest in shit from WWF or WWE from 20 or 30 years ago. So for me, it's like, it could appeal to me if it just wanted to be something new. But it seems to me like their appeal is more for people who loved wrestling who stopped loving it and they kind of want to go back to loving the same thing they used to love. Whereas I would rather you go in a new direction and do something different. And I just feel like if you're bringing out fucking Eric Bischoff, I'm sorry, like it's, you're not a thing that I want to watch. Uh, you're not. You're not for me. Uh, well, he, he was a he was a one off. So, well, that's good. But to me, it just completely validated me not watching it. Like you do too much of this stuff. Like be more creative, be more original. Um, and maybe they are in a lot of other ways that I just don't know about. But it's that type of stuff that makes me feel like, yep, I don't need to, don't need to even park my car in that direction for any amount of time it, it just seems like it's it's all the same to me um but i know you you talked a good bit about aew last week um any thoughts on aew this week before we get into takeover brooklyn uh yeah before we record i did watch a bit of dynamite uh cody's been hanging out with uh zach Ryder too a little too much because now he's getting himself ridiculous nicknames mm-hmm. and i haven't Watch a lot of Dynamite in the recent weeks. I have to catch up for a cup so, so I can review all out in a couple of weeks. But Corey's been acting like a real dickhead uh, <laughs> before his TNT title matches a lot lately. So this week he proclaimed himself the Prince of Pro Wrestling, and I just like rolled up my eyes at the back of my head like, oh my god. Uh, but and then he defeated Scorpio Sky. He's going to face Brody Lee on uh, the August twenty second Dynamite because the NBA playoffs start next Wednesday on TNT. But um, that's about it. MJF is a gem. MJF 2020. I'm not sure <laughs> if you if you want to watch any clips. I highly recommend watching those. <laughs> yeah, I'm not aware of that. Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, he's basically uh, he's facing Mox for the title at All Out, and he's kind of like making this like a presidential run. <laughs> so he has so he has like a whole cabinet and everything. Like a, like a woman as an advisor and stuff. <laughs> And uh, Wardlow's is running. It's really good. I I highly recommend watching that. And um, I I, I have to brush up on everything else, but that's those have been the things I have been enjoying on Dynamite lately. Now um, for WWE, you t- you talked about him earlier. Black Lives Matter activist Randy Orton. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to put him over every week. I think he's 
he, he deserves recognition for everything he's doing this year. Uh, he did away. I'm not sure if you knew this as well, but Rick, Rick Flair aligned himself with Randy Orton a few months back, but Randy Orton cut him loose. I think Randy caught an excellent promo after he defeated Kevin Owens because Flair actually put him in the match with Kevin Owens. And Orton says, this match was unnecessary. Your ego got in the, your ego got in the way. I don't I don't need you around me. You're a distraction. You're gonna run me away from what I'm trying to achieve. And he just rammed down. He's like, you're not the same Ric Flair I knew. You're like the old the Ric Flair I knew, he wouldn't have had a heart attack. He wouldn't have been in a coma. You know, <laughs> all this Ric Flair does is cry, cry me, oh cry, 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 cry me a river. And uh, I thought he got an excellent promo. And I think Randy Orton is, is the superstar of the year. And it's, I don't think I don't even think it's close. The only people you could really put in that conversation with him or Cody, Keith Lee, and Drew McIntyre, but I don't think it's close at all. I think it's Randy Orton by a landslide. Well, I, I obviously can't make an educated comment on that, but what I can say is um, I've definitely seen more um, traction on social media for Randy Orton than I've seen from Drew McIntyre. Like Drew McIntyre, to me, I feel like, okay, he had his big win at WrestleMania, and I feel like I haven't seen or heard anything about him since. Like, that's yeah, kind of how I feel. Yeah, because Prep talked about why he doesn't feel like the champion. And I, I didn't have an answer for him at the time. I think it's because the matches that he's having, they're not all against the top the top names. WWE doesn't really have any like big names to actually throw at him. Randy Orton was dealing with Edge at the time. Or, uh, McIntyre's first feud was with, Seth Rollins, and that was an excellent match as well. But after that, he was with Bobby Lashley and Dolph Ziggler. And Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Lashley in 2020, they're not knocking anybody's socks off. So I think that's why, too, like he has to feel important. That's, that's the main difference between McIntyre and Mox. At least Mox, he feels somewhat important. He's actually seen as a champion and actually going to fight t- guys at the top of the card and actually mean something. But fighting Bobby Lashley and Dolph Ziggler, Knowing those guys are going to lose, guaranteed, especially Ziggler, it's not nothing to really get excited about. But this whole Randy Orton thing, it has substance, and it's something to look forward to. And actually, Randy Orton is that big name. Another thing, if you need, if you haven't watched it, Sasha Banks and Bailey hold the level. I'm, I put them over huge <laughs> in the last two months. And on on uh, this week on SmackDown, there's a, th- a three brand battle royal to see who's going to face Bailey at SummerSlam, and Stephanie announced it last week. And if you saw the pandering that Sasha and Bailey did to Stephanie, uh, <laughs> you're like Stephanie, like you're you're one of our role models. You're like the greatest of all time. We've been watching a lot of your we've been watching a lot of your work on, on the WWE Network, and they both said at the same time for nine ninety nine. They did a lot of good stuff. I put them over huge for the last few months and i think eric, we'll talk about that in a little bit as we get into the show but a lot of everything they're doing is finally starting to come together five years later yeah well and unfortunately we can't pretend that they planned for this to come together five years ago like it's yes. been so much stopping and starting and so many mistakes and yeah but somehow they finally figured it out it only took them five years um all right so TakeOver Brooklyn, the initial installment. How many years did they did do TakeOver Brooklyn? Three? Uh, four. Was it four? Yeah. Um, we obviously uh, were there uh, with your, your good buddy James. Um, yes. So we took the, the drive up from Delaware to Brooklyn uh, in what I remember. I remember there being blistering sun that day. 
Um, I remember a picture of us on Facebook, us, somebody calling us, uh, I believe, Harlem Heat and Goldberg. Yes. Uh, I'm glad you read that. <laughs> um, I, bought, I believe that day I bought the Money in the Bank briefcase. You did. Uh, and I remember it being an all-around fun day. Yes, um, a good day. A fun day, a great show. Uh, it's probably a big part of what led us to doing this podcast together. That uh, was the first time I think you and I hung out without Eric. Yes. Um, I think maybe even only the second time or third time we really it hung a, out. It was the second of all. Well, Technically the third, but the first you don't remember. So we'll yeah, just call it the second. I vaguely, I, I vaguely remember. <laughs> um, yeah, we hung out at the uh, Mick Foley signing, which was a fun night. And I thought maybe there was a chance we had watched like a pay-per-view together, but no. maybe not yet. Not yet. Uh, I think we, I think that we might have watched like Survivor Series or something like that, like a couple that months year. later. Yeah, we did. You're right. Um, so. Yeah, fun day, a great show. Like, I have a lot of good memories from that day. Uh, arguably my favorite uh, show I've ever attended. Um, it's at least in the conversation. Um, what are your memories of, like, just general memory of TakeOver Brooklyn? Well, a lot of, this, a lot of the same as, same as you. Uh, I, I still remember the, the remember the black kid with the New Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, cha- cha- uh, uh, Preaching about the new day, like yes. I, I do, I do, I remember that clearly. Uh, like you said, the second time we ever hung out, and a lot of people, a lot of people I meet, uh, they're through, they are through Eric, and because I'm a bit of an introvert, so it's like I keep to myself or whatever. So you know, when the per- when the constant's not there, it's like okay, let's see how this goes. Right. Like, <laughs> uh, we'll see how this goes today, and it's like. And like Pash, like this is the second time, second time I've hung out with you. So it's just like it's like, huh? Like, like what are we gonna talk about? Like, I had James with me too, but it's just like, what are we gonna talk about in the car? Like, what music am I gonna play? Like, it's Pash for the niggas. It's like, what's up? <laughs> it's like, what's gonna happen? So, so we're driving, and I think I had on the Kendrick Lamar album, and you made a comment. I was like, okay, this is gonna be a good day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, so it was a good time. Nice drive there. Uh, you know I don't play with parking, so we got there at a decent time. Mm-hmm. It was hot outside, but it was very entertaining and fun to be outside with all the rest of the fans. You did like the Bar- you did like Brooklyn at this time. Mm-hmm. By the way, if you if you guys have never been to the Barclays Center, it is the worst arena ever. Um, it's rough and man. most uncomfortable. Yeah, it, it, it is, is not terrible. a comfortable place. <laughs> it's, it's not at all. But yeah, I do remember it being a good time, and I would definitely put it up there with my one of my favorite wrestling experiences. Yeah, it was like just a great atmosphere. Uh, like you said, it was like a very fun fan environment, I guess because it didn't have that kind of like negative WWE vibe hanging over it, uh, that will hang over like a SummerSlam type show in the same arena, for instance. Um, it was just like a really fun, uh, exciting atmosphere. Like, yeah, we were probably out front of the Barclays Center for at least an hour and a half (laughs) just hanging out. And it was like a fun time hanging out there. Um... Fun in the show, and I think, like, tell me if you agree with this or not, because you may not, because I really hadn't had this thought until I started watching it back. So everyone, you know what, I may save this for a specific match, um, this comment, because I think it fits in more in that place in particular. But I guess I'll say, like, I don't know if people remember how big of a deal this was. Because, like, now we've seen so many of these big NXT shows. It's just kind of, like, an expectation. This was, like, 
Oh, yeah. Almost like this set the bar for, like, the future of NXT. Like, they had done some takeovers uh, from Full Sail, but this was, like, a whole new thing. And I don't know if people remember how much anticipation there was for this event, how high the expectations were for this event, and probably how much pressure there was, like, on this event being good. And it, like, completely delivered. So, um, do we have a rating system in place? Yes, we do. Come on in, Howard. The Flaming Podcast has a rating system in place. If it's a horrible show, it gets a jobber. If the show falls somewhere in the middle, it gets a slower knockout. If it is an amazing show, it gets the rating of ratings. Who will get who show stops? Thank you. All right, so I'll I'll go first. A lot of times I like to to kind of go last, um, but obviously I'm going to give this a showstopper. Uh, any show that I've attended will always get like some extra credit, uh, as I think we probably all would agree to. If you're in attendance for the event, you'll probably always remember it a little more fondly than if you just watched it on TV. Um, and also, some of that rating is about like the entire. Like, everything surrounding the event, like, the entire day, the entire atmosphere, and everything that we were a part of. Um, But, like, the show itself, like, it was great at the time. Like, I remembered really enjoying it when I was there. I've never watched it back in its entirety until now. Um, And not only did it, like, hold up, I think I may have actually, like thought the show was better than I originally thought it was when I watched it back. I don't know if everyone would have that opinion watching it back, but I was like, this actually is even a little bit better of a wrestling show than than I remembered it being. Because I pretty much walked out of there with, like, the one major thing as, like, the, the takeaway from it. And I think I kind of forgot how good a lot of the rest of it was. So for me, it's a showstopper. And also, like, I think you have to include in there, like, even something like getting to see Enzo and Cass come out in front of the New York crowd, like, was awesome for the TV taping. So, showstopper for me, what is your rating for TakeOver Brooklyn 1? Yeah, this one get a showstopper for me, because I remember I was disappointed a lot with this card, because I wanted to see Enzo and Cass. I wanted to see uh, Charlotte in 2015. Um, I did want to see Becky Lynch. I did want to see uh, Carmella. I did, I did want to... Uh, Boo Dana Brooke, but I got mm. to do all this. I got to do all these things on the on the TV taping because I didn't know there would be a TV taping at the time. So I got to do all that. Enzo, that Enzo and Cass pop, maybe one of the loudest pops I've, I've ever heard in an arena, and that's for a TV taping. And they kicked off the TV taping. That was the first thing we have we saw that night. So I did enjoy that. The TV tape is still Enzo in the pinstripes, well. right? Yeah, yeah, he had <laughs> the pinstripe with Biggie spray pa- spray paint on the back. Yeah, I, I watched the the TV taping too. Because that Enzo and Cass pop was huge. But yeah, I think this show holds up 100%. And unlike earlier this year, we reviewed a, a reviewed Arrival, we had more investment in these characters. And these, a lot of these characters, they're around in prominent positions today. So that's another good thing. We can actually look back on them five years, five years later. I do like that aspect of it. But yeah, the time that I had here is definitely a little bit biased towards it. But I still think if I didn't go there, I would still give it the same the same rate because I thought the show was excellent top to bottom, and then 
and this was when NXT was pretty small. And like you said, this was a big deal because I remember seeing the uh, the graphic for this. I think the first time they said it was going to be in Brooklyn was on the Beast in the East show. And I was like, oh, they're leaving full sale. Because remember, this is when they're starting to tour mm-hmm. all the cities too. Like you went to the to the house shows in Philly. So it's like, okay, let's take this out of Brooklyn. Let's take this takeovers out of, out of full sale and see how this goes. So. I do think that show is amazing, and I still think it holds up to this day. And I can't wait to talk about it because it's a lot of guys that are in prominent positions now or could have been in prominent positions. Uh, agreed. So, show, of course, couldn't open any other way than with Paul Levesque putting himself over, uh, <laughs> as we all remember. Um, that still gave me goosebumps, by the way. Yeah, it was, a, it was a cool moment. And this actually is probably one of the first times that I got really annoyed with the fans because it's like he came out and said, here's what we're going to try to do to open this show. Like you guys are all going to be part of like a cool opening to the show. And there was still a segment of fans that just like refused to go along with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember being annoyed. It was one of the first times like, yo, fuck these people, <laughs> hey, these fucking dorks. Um, yeah, but, but that, that whole opening segment, that still gives me goosebumps to this day. Cause I also, I remember Corey Graves even, Get on the microphone before Triple H came out, just hyping, hyping the crowd. It's like, all right, guys, I need you to get loud. I need you to get hype. So I did love that aspect of it too. So like that whole opening montage still gave me goosebumps. Yeah, it was cool, and it was like obviously like a recognition of like this is something new. Like we're putting our foot in like a new direction here. Um, and then really just a great opening match with Tyler Breeze against Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, obviously, I don't know if anyone could have predicted like that this would be a match that would happen on an NXT show. I mean, just an incredible entrance by Tyler Breeze, like the the, <laughs> so the New good. York the New York fashion show on his way down the ramp. I think is just amazing. Um, it is nuts that this match like even happened in the first place, and I thought just like a really great opening match. Yeah, I agree. I I miss this version of Tyler Breeze. He came back last year with it, but it wasn't the same because he had his, he cut his hair and he wasn't really much of a heel because he was working with Velveteen Dream for the North American title. But I remember him like hounding Regal for an opponent at Takeover Brooklyn. He's like, "You got to find me the best in the world," and he ended up finding him Jushin Thunder Liger. I thought it was a good match. Uh, I enjoyed both these guys trying to one up each other the entire time, and uh, Breeze being completely frustrated. Even a few times, him actually yelling at the ref. I thought the match was okay. It wasn't the best match to me, but for a 50-year-old Jushin Thunder Lager and Breeze to be working for the first time, I thought it was a really good match. Right. Like nobody, I don't. I don't think anyone would look back on it as like a classic match. But I think like what I think of it is like this guy. There's one guy who was a legend, like a wrestling legend, against a guy who. Really, like, if you if you really think about it, who is a legendary NXT character? Like, he may not have been the biggest name. He may not have ever been the NXT champion. Like, and when you think back on that era of, like, who were the, the best in NXT at the time, I don't know if everyone would think Tyler Breeze, but to me, he's, like, a big part of what defined what made NXT so fun to watch then. It was like the fact that they had, they actually had characters that had personalities. They were distinct. And he truly, to me, he's like one of the like preeminent NXT characters that they've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. And I should have said this at the top of my rating. This is NXT's peak. And I'll take this NXT over any version of NXT today. 
You already know how I feel about that. Like that yeah. that is the NXT I fell in love with. That will forever be the NXT like I wish we could still have. And I, I get the reasons why we can't have that forever, but like it will never be it'll never be that good again in, in my eyes. Um Liger gets the win with the Liger Bomb. Fun opening match. Like it was cool to to get to see uh, Thunder Liger have this match. It was cool to get to see Tyler Breeze have a match with with a guy like that that you probably never would have thought um, that he would have had. Um, you cut. We had that quick cut to Diesel Razor and <laughs> One Two Three Kids sitting ringside, which I thought was kind of cool. I forgot about that actually. Um, and then a quick shot of Bailey in the locker room, like being encouraged by Ashley Flair and Becky Lynch. Uh, How young did Ashley look? Very young. This was <laughs> this was like very pre the man era Becky. Uh, which but the thing with Charlotte, funny. Charlotte was already up there. It wasn't like Charlotte was like fairly in her twenties. Charlotte was almost. I think she was. She might have just hit thirty. Yeah, she like might. She probably was at least thirty at that time. Um, but yeah, she did look a lot younger. Well, I guess all those title reigns uh, takes a lot out of somebody. <laughs> I mean, her dad has looked seventy since he was forty, so I guess there's something to be said for someone always having the title on their on around their waist that uh, might age you. Um, we had a Nia Jax vignette, which is funny because like I not that I forgot, but I hadn't thought about that in a while. The the vignettes like leading up to her arrival. I was at the uh, performance center, I believe, a month later, um, and got to meet Nia Jax before she ever was on TV. I think it was her first time on TV at that. Uh, was it at the pay per view where was it Takeover Respect maybe? No, she wasn't on pay-per-view then. She debuted on a TV taping. So it must have been right around that time. It was around that time. Because that was it early was, October. It, it was It was between September and October. Um, but yeah, it was like, oh, wow. Who, like, if, if you think of all that Nia Jax has been through since then, like, it's funny to think that she wasn't even there yet. Yeah. Like, all the heat she's gotten over the years, and it's like, oh, yeah, she hadn't even gotten a taste of any of it yet, which is kind of crazy, like, to remember. Um, so I forgot how much I loved the Villains gimmick. Me too. I love the entrance. I love the look. I love, like, the style they had together. Uh, I think Gotch was, like, tailor-made for that gimmick. Like, the way both he's... Both of them. The, yeah, I mean, both of them, yes. But, like, Gotch, something about, like, his build. Like, he has the build of, like, an old-school... <laughs> that like short stocky build uh-huh. uh, I mean the mustache obviously um, I think even his style had like kind of like an old throwback feel to it um, love that gimmick I, like I love them coming out to the black and white uh, I, I just I thought that gimmick was so great and it's unfortunate that they kind of didn't work out um, better than they did although they did have a, they did have like a, a fun little run for, for a hot minute in WWE, but um, going up against Blake and Murphy, who were the tag team champs at the time, I think this was almost like a brand new like Bad Girl Alexa. Yeah, we were like months, yeah. We were just starting to get shades of like what Alexa Bliss could be. She went from like the the little girl that was almost like the fairy princess wearing all mm-hmm. blue to this version wearing like the Freddy Krueger uh, mm-hmm. look. Sometimes I think. Uh, she maybe didn't do a ton for them, 
But, like, I feel like this run for her, like, kind of defined what she was going to become. Yeah, because she, def- she actually was, was, was what made them because nobody cared about Blake and Murphy. And then all of a sudden, Alexa joins them at Unstoppable, and it's like, oh, my God, like, she's awesome. And it's kind of like you didn't know she really had it in her, but, like, from here, this was Alexa made that team because I believe Blake and Murphy, they wouldn't even sniff a win for the, for the rest of the year. And Alexa was the, the big selling point for that tag team. But about Simon Gotch, when I saw him come out, I couldn't stop. I couldn't help but to think about the interview we did with him. Or the uh, interview he had, did with us, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> if, if you guys ever heard that, I highly recommend listening to it. The best interview ever. So, um,. And like and something you talk you talked about about how well they work to him the ball villains work together and and Simon God says no they just do it together like you would think they were like lifelong partners mm-hmm. or best friends growing up but no they just do it together <laughs> and I did like and also he also talked about that this wasn't the original match the original match was Becky and the ball villains against the rest of Bam Factor so. That we so that 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 kind of goes hand in hand with what the Ball Villains Tag Team Title Ring was, but I thought this match was a lot of fun. I I was disappointed when Enzo and Cass lost because I wanted to see Enzo and Cass in the <laughs> Yeah, but I gotta say, like this match was awesome and it was high paced and fast the entire time. Uh, the the addition of Blue Pants I thought was perfect mm-hmm. because she was like the the the, the crowd clearly jumper. wanted it. Yeah, the full full sales favorite jobber. You know, mm-hmm. full sale is a good jobber, and it actually worked a lot here. And when they hit the roller dervish, I couldn't help but to pop again. Like I was like blushing on my couch. I'm like, oh my god, this this is still so amazing. And the crowd and the crowd wanted it too because I'm not sure the crowd really had too much excitement for this match. But at the end of the night, it, it was one of the best matches on the card. It was a great match, like really great tag match. You're right. Like the the finish of that match was so good. Like between. The energy, the crowd reaction, but just, like, them pulling it off. The fact that, like, Blue Pants got involved in the finish, which got the crowd going. And, yeah, the way they hit the Whirling Dervish, because it was, like, literally, I feel like 30 seconds before, it was like, oh, they're going to lose. And it just, like, turned so fast. And them getting the win, yeah, it was awesome. It was a great match. Uh, Yes, Simon Gotch did have a great interview with us. Uh, Somewhere I think he might still be talking to us (laughs) on Skype. Um, (laughs) Yeah, He talked to us for a good 15 or 20 minutes after we ended the interview. Like, we just could not shake him loose. (laughs) I'm trying to remember, like, what we were talking about. But, um... Of the interviews we've done, like I, I really am obviously fond of the Leo, the Leo Rush interview we did because it was the first one we ever did, and I feel like we did an interview with him that no one else probably really did. Like if you listen to any other Leo Rush interview on any other podcast, I don't know if it will sound the same as ours. Um, I'm very fond of the Flip Gordon interview that we did um, because we got him talking about stuff other than wrestling that ended up being really fun. We had... Some NBA Rookie of the Year, Ben Simmons versus Donovan Mitchell talk. We had some Cookies. Sixers versus Celtics talk. We Yeah, the, the cookie-shaped flat earth discussion. <laughs> uh, but the Simon Gotch one definitely holds a special place for me because, like I said, 
I, I felt in in some ways he was interviewing us more than we were interviewing him. Yeah, I think that clock did like an, an hour and a half. I think it maybe it, it, we were we were oh, on positive. we were on Skype with him for a really long time. <laughs> um, but yeah, and even like you you bringing up him and Aiden English not having really been tag team partners before they threw them together, I think that speaks a lot about. I can't speak for what it's like there anymore, but I think it speaks a lot to how good the performance center was back then, whether it was like the trainers or like Dusty doing the promo stuff with them. They really like got the most out of everyone down there. And it, it tells you a lot about what they could do, that they could take these two guys, throw them together. From what uh, Gotch said, he's like, we weren't even really friends. You yeah. know, like... And the fact that they could get thrown together and become like something that fe- felt like a real tag team speaks volumes about like the work that they were doing down there. But awesome tag match, like an awesome moment on the show. A lot of fun. I had a ton of fun watching it back. Um, we had Neville and Finn Balor show up uh, backstage. Cesaro pops up, which was like a nice little pop from the crowd. Um, then we got Ty Dillinger versus the, the debuting Apollo Cruz, and I don't know if you remember this or not. I think it was Kevin Fenty asked us a question. This is probably over a year ago, um, of like, what do we think is an underrated entrance song? And my answer was Apollo Cruz, and I remember you being like, really? And the the reason I gave is because he debuted at this show. It was the first time I heard his entrance music. We obviously heard it during his entrance, and we heard it playing after he wins the match. And anytime I hear that song now, like I'm, it's one of those weird things where like my mind is immediately transported to the Barclays Center. Like just like watching that play out, it like puts me right back in that moment. So it may not be the best entrance music, but like. It's associated with a memory for me that, like, I'll never be able to forget. Um, but I was excited to see him debut. I had never seen him wrestle before, but I knew he was, like, very highly regarded uh, coming in. Uh, Ty Dillinger, as we all know, like, the good hand in there. I guess a good guy to put him in there with. Um, so I'll let you talk a little bit about this match. But I just want to say, you know, everyone who listens to this podcast knows how much I love a good bit. And... How much I love a character, how much I love a good performance, and maybe more than anything, how much I love someone being able to commit to something. And by God, does Ty Dillinger commit to the perfect 10 character? Like, the fir- his level of commitment is really, like, remarkable. Because the first time, this is the first time I saw this, and this was before he perfected the, no pun intended, perfected the perfect 10 gimmick. Mm-hmm. So his entrance wasn't what it would actually end up becoming. So I was like, who the hell is this guy? And you explained it to me. And then you told me the story about him at the house show in Philly, <laughs> yeah. how he won the, the crowd over with the, um, the number sign. Uh-huh. But um, so the entire time, I was like, who the hell is this guy? But anyway, so back to Apollo. It's amazing to think that five years ago when he made his debut, and he's actually finally getting a run now. And he's been really good this year, I think. The no crowd environment has actually benefited him the most. I mean, he's cutting good promos. And you talked about how they said he was in high regard. Like, before the match started on commentary, they said they put him in the same category as Kevin Owens and Finn Balor. Mm-hmm. You're about to be amazed. And I don't think this match was that great. Like you said, Dillinger's in it just to be the good hand. But I thought it was a great showcase for Apollo. And unfortunately, his NXT time was cut short. 
cut way too short, in my opinion, because he's up on the main roster in April after WrestleMania. And they never really, I don't think, knew what to do with him. Like, his character was basically, he's really a really good wrestler, and he smiles a lot. Like, that was his character. And I don't know if you noticed this, but it's something I've never forgotten. And it kind of bothered me at the time. Um, after he wins the match, he stands up, like, on the top rope in the corner. And he's kind of posing or whatever. And I vividly remember somebody down on the floor, like, directing him. Like, telling him, like, to, like, do this. Or, or telling him to point or whatever. And, like, oh, really? I, and I remember it bothering me. Like, why are you directing this fucking guy? Like, let him do what he's going to do. And it kind of, like, to me, and I I don't know if I ever really put this together at the time. Um but it almost speaks to, like, what they did with him. Like, they over, they tried to almost, like, put him in a box that he shouldn't have been in. It's kind of what they do with everybody. But it's like, how's anyone ever going to become something cool or something fun if you are micromanaging every little fucking action they make? Uh, and it seems like that's something they did to him. Now, I don't know why he's kind of getting a run now. I don't know if there's, like something he's done or or whatever but i mean i think the guy's an awesome athlete i think he's fun to watch i think they never really tapped into his personality much and maybe until like he started doing this stuff with titus uh which i liked for a little while but i'm happy that he's getting something going for himself now because it really has been a long time with them not really figuring out what the hell to do with this guy. And you're right, it wasn't a great match, but I thought it was like a fun debut for that guy. And watching Ty Dillinger back is always fun, because I really did love the uh, the perfect 10. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was anything else I had to say about that match. I don't think... Oh! Another thing that I love. I love when someone makes a really big deal out of something small or stupid, and... When Apollo put up the 10 early in the match and Ty flipped out <laughs> about him putting up the 10, like, no, that's my thing. I love that. There, there's just something that's always going to make me pop about someone making a huge deal out of something that's really small. Um, we got William Regal discussing the Dusty Rhodes Classic backstage, which, from what I recall, uh, was actually like a fun tournament. Mm-hmm. Um Back at that time. Um, had to laugh at the Tough Enough finalists uh, <laughs> ringside. Oh, ZZ, God. I forget the big guy's name. And then Josh. Mandy. And then what was the other girl's name? Was it Sarah? Yeah, Sarah Lee. She's actually, I'm not sure if she's married to him, but she had a, she had a couple kids from for uh, Wesley Blake. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, she, they had a couple kids together. And, um... Who would have thought Mandy Rose the last one standing? I know. I wouldn't have thought that. I'll tell you who did think that, though, The Miz, because I think she was, like, the one that The Miz was campaigning for at the time. Um, Miz knows town. Samoa Joe versus King Corbin. Um, I actually think, like, looking back on it, that this Corbin character was actually really good. Yeah, me too. Um... And I, maybe I'm being dramatic by saying it was ahead of its time because he maybe was not doing anything that hadn't been done yet. But him, I just really appreciate them building him up as like, I'm a real athlete. 
Like, I'm a Golden Gloves boxer. I was drafted to play in the NFL. Like, they called me to come here and compete. Like, I'm a real athlete. You know, you guys are just some guys wrestling in front of two people at bingo halls. It's like, that, to me, that, like, resonates. I don't know if that was necessarily new at the time to do that, because it probably wasn't. But... I really enjoyed that character, that kind of smugness, and that, like, talking down to wrestling fans and the quote-unquote, like, the workers. Um, I really appreciated, And I thought he was, like, a really good opponent for Samoa Joe. Yeah, so I thought this video package was excellent. It was real simple, but it was excellent. And I'm going to correct you for a second because Corbin said all I had to do was make a phone call. Nah, and you're then, right. Yeah, and then Joe was like, I didn't have to make a phone call. They called me. So, so Joe, so Joe's awesome. But, um, but Baron Corbin's whole thing of like, I'm this. I'm I'm a former football player. I'm a golden uh, box champion. I, I'm like I have accomplishments. I'm not here for. It's just a popularity contest, like you mm-hmm. said. And I thought of you when he said that. Like, <laughs> I, I, but I do agree. Like this character was ahead of his time. I mean, he was the lone wolf, so he was really all about himself at this point. But he wrote. He was really green at this time still, and he didn't really have extended matches. This was one of the first extended matches he actually had. Like I said, still green, but I do think Joe was the perfect opponent for him. And the way he lost, I don't think he really, I don't think he lost anything at all. Well, no, this was like like a clash of titans um, between these two, um, and I like legit got happy when Joe swaggered out onto the ramp. <laughs> like, like I've I've missed this guy, and I don't know. So this is one of the reasons why I say like maybe I enjoyed this show more watching it back than I did then because I was not in on Samoa Joe yet. Like if you remember, I like anything from TNA and all that. It was like meaningless to me. So Joe won me over, like over the course of his time in NXT. But I was not like excited about Samoa Joe at the time. Whereas now watching this back, I'm like, oh shit. Like, I get to watch Samoa Joe now. Um, So, yeah, I don't think I was, like, super excited about this back then. But I was, like, really excited to watch it now. And I I had a lot of fun watching it. And like I said, like, the the Corbin character I thought was great. And Samoa Joe, obviously, is fantastic. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, And, yeah, I think Joe, obviously, was the right guy to win this match. Go ahead. But also think about the evolution, the five-year evolution. How great is – how much is Baron Corbin actually growing in that time? I know. I love King Corbin. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm a fan of him too. Like, I when a lot of people were kind of souring on him, I was like, I love this. It's like they're the like the reasons why people thought he was bad are like, I'm like, no, that's what's good about him, and like the <laughs> fact that they're really playing into that stuff, I think is great. He's one of the few guys that I think like they've probably like maximized. Him Like, most people, they don't get everything out of them that they can. I feel like they've used him to the best of his ability. And mm-hmm. I think it shows. I mean, there was that one year where he was, like, legitimately getting more TV time than anyone else yeah, on the roster. The, the Constable. <laughs> yeah, Constable Corbin. Um, we had another shot of uh, ringside with Commissioner Slaughter and Kana, who would become uh, Asuka. 
Uh, and we had Richard Flair also with the two of them. Uh, I don't know how he got to sit with two legends like Kana and Commissioner Slaughter, but good for him for getting a good seat. Uh, we also had a flash over to Team Bad, which I forgot that was already a thing at this point. For some reason, but I guess that because they had to match uh, the next night at SummerSlam. But for some reason, I thought that it happened later. Um, and I have to say, I laughed so hard that commentary was billing a four-hour SummerSlam as a plus. <laughs> like, as a selling point. It's like, <laughs> what are we talking about? A four-hour extravaganza. Like, yeah, you're make, you're actively making me not want to fucking watch it. You're this, you're well, not making me more well, excited well, for well, it. You got to remember, this is when the network's new. Yeah, that's so true. It's like, so it's like, we, we see these new network specials. It's like, oh, my God, a paper Because WrestleMania was only a four-hour show that they yeah. had. But then it turned to a seven-hour show. So it's like, someone says four hours? That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, but looking back, I'm like, wow. That is not uh, that is not the selling point you think it is. Um, we get Stephanie McMahon coming out to basically like announce the Divas Revolution and to kind of introduce this match between Sasha and Bailey, talking about how her her husband said we don't just put them in the main event like they are the main event. And honestly, they should have actually been the main event. Um, oh, in hindsight, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a second. Um, the Sasha Bailey video package, I mean, was great. Um, I think they did a great job of kind of like telling the story. Uh, and I think it's the, like the interesting thing. We've talked about this before, but like Sasha had to change who she was to be successful. Whereas Bailey. Even though she had all the failures like leading up to this, she like stayed true to who she was and eventually succeeded over the person who changed, which I, I thought it was a really interesting story. We I don't know like how much we could really even say about this that we haven't said already, but like the the promo package itself like had me excited for the match all over again. They did a really great job like building this story even before they got into the match and told that story. But um I'll let you kind of discuss your thoughts on Sasha versus Bailey at Takeover Brooklyn. Well, the match still holds up, and it's still the greatest wrestling, women's match, in my opinion. And uh, five years later, still getting the goosebumps, and I still get choked up watching the ending. Uh, it's a shame the WWE was still living off this match for five years, and it's finally paying off because I think Sasha and Bailey have been excellent until whenever. They'll get their payoff and get their match. I think they're waiting for fans to get in arenas to actually pay those two off. But everything's good to go for them, I think. Unlike for the in the years five years past. Uh, I, I talked about simple booking with the Baron Corbin and Joe match. This was simple too. Uh, Bailey being that underdog story, and they showed her journey. Like her journey, she had to beat Emma, she had to beat Charlotte, she had to beat Becky in consecutive weeks. And Bailey never really won the big one. And, they t- and on commentary, they were talking about. How Bailey did beat Sasha twice to be number one contender, but Bailey didn't win, and Sasha felt that Bailey was wasting opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I love Sasha's trash talking because being there live, you can't hear that. But I thought they added a, a big element to the match for Bailey's underdog story. Uh, Sasha working Bailey's hand throughout the match, I thought was brilliant, and the way she was she would attack it. My favorite was with the bank statement and Bailey's reaching for the ropes, and Sasha's hitting. The, Kicking and stomping on the mm-hmm. broken on the broken hand, and Billy has to 
Bailey flips it around to her own version of the bank statement. And uh, that's it. I think this match still holds up perfectly. I still get choked up. Still the best rest, women's wrestling match, in my opinion, or at least in WWE history. And I'm, it's sad that they haven't, they didn't capitalize on this when they could have. But I'm glad where we are now with these two, and that we're actually going to get something really good because I think they've been, two, they've been the top two women in all of wrestling this entire year. Um. So yeah, I definitely agree that it is. It's definitely. I think it's the best match, regardless of promotion for women in history. Um, the ovation that Bailey gets when she comes out, I think, was amazing. Uh, Sasha's entrance was fantastic. Like her, really like. Amping up her entrance for such a big show, I thought was great. Um, I I love like in hindsight now, like Graves standing for Sasha when he <laughs> became like the exact opposite on the main roster. I think it's great. He used uh-huh. to be like the number one boss fan. Yeah, oh my god, I love <laughs> I love it. Cause like my favorite Graves line of all time is like, "You got a back, Banks got a knife." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a total role reversal from how he was in NXT. Um, so this is kind of the point I was I was about to make at the beginning of the show, but I think it fits better for this match specifically. Um, like obviously, this match is held in very high regard, like by wrestling fans all over the place. And like now, whenever we think about this match, we will always look at it as a classic match. Like, knowing the result, knowing the performance they put on, knowing everything that came out of it, knowing the reaction it got. Like, we know all that now. But I think we kind of forget that going into it, without knowing how it was going to turn out, there was so much pressure on these two. Mm-hmm. Like, to be in such a big spot, on such a big stage. And the fact that, like, they delivered what they did in such a big moment... I think because we all know how it turned out, we forget, like, that they could have, like, not delivered. And they over-delivered in the biggest position maybe either one of them will ever be in. Um, Like, I don't know if NXT would be the same now if they didn't deliver the way they did. I mean, it was the highest point on this show. Um, But, again, I don't know, like, what else I could say about this match that I haven't said already. Uh, the one thing I did kind of want to touch on, one of the reasons I, I cite um, the first Hell in a Cell match with Taker and HBK as my favorite is because of the story element of that match, where it feels like there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to that story. There's like the, the beginning of that story is like the Undertaker basically kicking Sean's ass around this cage where Sean can't escape. Then Sean kind of finds a way to get the upper hand. The middle is them getting out of the cage and Sean going literally through hell, you know, gets his face busted open on the side of the cage. They end up on top of the cage. He gets killed up there, goes through the table. And then the end of the match is just when you think Taker's about to to get his well-earned victory, Kane shows up and takes it away from him. And Sean somehow lives, like, to be to, to fight another day. He somehow weasels his way into another victory, even without the help of his friends. I feel like this is not similar. It's not a similar type of match. But, like, I almost look at the, the sequence in the match that takes place outside the ring when Sasha really starts 
destroying Bailey's hand. To me, that's like a very reminiscent sequence to The Undertaker killing Sean outside of the cell. It's kind of like holds that same spot in the match where like you feel like everything's about to turn and then somehow the the person ends up on top anyway. Um thought this match was amazing. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was like fun to watch again. I probably watched that match at least a dozen times. Um Obviously, the curtain call was like a great moment. Like being there live was amazing. We obviously didn't think that was going to happen, um, and I, I really don't think like anything was the same for any of the four of them ever again. Like mm. from that point on, like so Bailey goes on to have a great reign as the NXT uh, champion. Uh, Sasha. Charlotte and Becky, like, all kind of make a name for themselves on the main roster. Obviously, Becky becoming a champion on SmackDown. Charlotte being, is she a triple-digit, like, 100-time champion yet? I'm not even sure. Just about. Almost. Uh, Sasha getting to have, like, great match after great match and having that great moment in the uh, Falls Count Anywhere match uh, on Raw. Um, Getting to have the first Hell in a Cell match, like, their careers were completely different. Like once this match ended, like it was never the same for any of them, and for good reason. Like they've all, as much as I'm not a fan of Ashley Flair, like they've all earned um, the success they've gotten. Uh, and this match was amazing. Uh, high point of the show, and it's unfortunate how much this overshadowed the main event between yes. Finn Balor and Kevin Owens. Like I remember just being tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's yeah, yeah. So basically, we'll get into that right now, and. Uh, if I didn't watch this match for the show, I couldn't tell you one thing that happened. <laughs> all, all I remember is Finn grabbing the belt from that from being there live. All I remember is Finn grabbing the belt and his music hit, and we leave. I remember the spot with the one ladder like being laid sideways, like horizontal. Like I remember that sequence of the match, and I remember a little bit of them outside the ring. But I, I'm with you, like. Everything, like everything, I feel like that was in me as a fan was like spent during oh, the yeah. Sasha the and Bailey match. And at that point, it was just like we're all just like looking at our watches, like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's wrap this up, guys. Uh, but it was a good match. Like I thought it was a really good ladder match. I mean, obviously, two great workers and Kevin Owens. May I mean, maybe he might be like the best guy like in the last ten years. I'm not saying he's like my favorite of the last 10 years or I think he's the best sports entertainer of the last 10 years, but like there's a case that between 2010 and 2020, like there's a case for him as the best guy in sports entertainment. You like you could make that case. And yeah, I, I listen yeah. to the argument. <clears throat> yeah, so like my, I miss this Kevin Owens because Kevin Owens right when we his from the inception we saw him in WWE he was basically chasing a title and right now he's basically the prize fighter <laughs> yeah prize fighter so now he's a face he's not really doing anything but him sitting down in the chair during Bal's entrance I thought was perfect mm-hmm because it's like, okay, because he, he know this takes forever. Let me sit down. So I did appreciate that in, in looking at his face sitting in the chair. But I thought this was a good match. I thought it was a back-to-the-basics type ladder match because it wasn't a million ladders all over the place. And like I said, a lot of this was fairly new to me because I don't I didn't remember this match at all watching live in person because I was spent myself. But I thought it was a good match, a good way to end the show. I thought it was a nice, simple ladder match, nothing too fancy. And it was a good. It was good to actually have that type of ladder match. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun to watch. I definitely. It's another one that I enjoyed more watching this go round than 
I did in the arena. Um, I do, like, I had to laugh when they showed Seth ringside between the women's match and this match because, like, wow, what a different Seth Rollins era that was. Like, he was the double champ, right? He had two matches the next night? Uh, no. Or was that the next year? That was the next month because he won the U.S. title from John the next night. Oh, that's right. And then, so what was that? That was Night of Champions. He had the two matches. Yeah, the next match, the next month. Um, that's right. He did win the U.S. title at at SummerSlam. Um, yeah, that like I loved that version of Seth Rollins, and it's funny seeing him ringside, and then remembering back to like whatever it was, the twenty four seven or whatever it was, when they were showing like all the reaction of the talent to the Sasha Bailey match and him crying mm-hmm. ringside after watching that match. Like it's it's always funny to me to like think of he was like the the evil heel villain, but he was the guy crying because the the women moved him to tears during their match. Um, but yeah, the ladder match was was a lot of fun. I thought this show was great. Uh, it's one of my greatest wrestling memories. I will always hold this card and specifically that Sasha Bailey match in like very high regard. Um, and I'm glad we kind of got to go back and watch it and and discuss it. Um, do you have any like final thoughts on this show? No, I uh, I love the show. Still hold up to this day. Still one of my favorites. I still think it's in the top five takeovers they had, and I, it was really not fun to watch the progression of all these guys from then to now. Yeah, uh, like I said, I, I'm I'm happy that that I watched it, and, and it was one of those rare. A lot of times when I'm watching a show, I'll be checking how much time is left on this, like. You know, I'll, I'll turn on the show and be like, okay, this is two hours and 53 minutes. Okay, that's not too bad. And I'll be checking, like, oh, my God, I'm not even an hour in yet. Oh, my God, I'm not even halfway through yet. This one, I never even looked at how long it was. I never checked to see how much time I had left. I just kind of was able to sit there and have fun from beginning to end. Um, and I hope that led to this being a fun show to listen to. Um is there any, like, wrestling talk that you feel like you need to throw in there before we close it out? Like, current stuff? Uh, no, I think I threw most of it in there at the top of the show that I actually care about. Um, but so, next for the next, actually for the next, yeah, the next two weeks is about SummerSlam, the review and the preview. And following is the all-out review and preview. And then on the 15th, it's going to be Mind Games 96. The 22nd is going to be about Raw from September 22nd, 1997. And the week after that, on the 29th, it's going to be the first time ever, so we're going to pop that cherry. I want you to I, I want you to watch this, too, by the way, because you mentioned this earlier. <laughs> I, I really want you to watch this. I'm, I'm dead ass. I, uh, it's going to be TNA Unbreakable 2005. <laughs> okay, let me write this down. This is what date? September 29th, did you say? Yes. TNA Unbreakable? 2005. I'll send you. I'll send you the info because I'll. I'll, I'll gonna subscribe to the uh, Impact Plus. All right. I am writing that down. Yeah. Um, the, 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 yeah. There's a. What show is the selling made. point of this show? Well, I've been. I've been listening to a lot of Eric Bischoff show lately, and um, and we look at the TNA roster from 10, 10, 15 years ago. A lot of these guys are still relevant today. And in all the companies, whether it's WWE, AEW, or AEW, or still in Impact Wrestling today. So I think a big selling point is watching these guys on the uprise. For example, AJ Styles is on this card 
uh, Christopher Daniels is on the card. So you'll see, it's actually, it's a triple threat. AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe in the main event for the X Division oh, wow. title. Uh, you'll see them. I, I believe uh, a, young, a younger Austin Aries is on this card. A younger Bobby Roode's on this card. I believe a younger Eric Young's on this card. So it's a lot of young stars that we that we know today that are still relevant. And I think it'll be interesting to actually watch some TNA. Well, it's definitely an interesting undertaking. Um, so if you've made it this far in the show, thank you for uh, going on this ride with us. Please subscribe on, uh, I don't think it's called iTunes anymore. I guess it's just Apple Podcasts. Please leave a five-star rating and review. Um, Alo, would you like to move any merch? Yes. What a maneuver on that to embrace the madness. Oh, on this car, too, you'll see Ron Killings. Oh, well, I think he just sold me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, completely sold. Um, all right. So I guess that is the show. So for uh, Mr. Wednesday Night Live, we call him Alo. The ladies call him Balo. Aaron Lloyd. I am Ron Pashery Jr. And we will see you next week. Hop the top rope by the land with elbow. Got him now. Put him down right now. Hit him with the palm handle. Tuning up the band, y'all don't understand. Fist of Superman, it's a summer slam. Here we go again. Fans mocking man, man, I hate my ball. Shut the mission, man. It ain't safe to land off the cell. Fans love it, ain't hard to tell. Talking madness, awesome. Well, what I'm cooking, man, y'all off the smell.